Welcome to Lift, a parenting podcast where we ask the questions about family and faith. Parenting takes a lot of heavy lifting, both in physical, emotional, and spiritual ways. Let's face it, raising a family is hard work. Some of us are doing it as a single parent. Some of us are working with a spouse, but all of us have questions every day. Are we screwing up our kids, our marriage, our relationships? This podcast will ask questions that can guide each of us to finding our rhythm and creating a space for God in our home. And did you know we have a Facebook page now? So make sure and check us out, Lift a Parenting Podcast on Facebook. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We I've brought in two guests. One is very familiar to our podcast and one is new. Um, but today we're going to talk about how to talk about race um, with your family. It's my hope that this is not a podcast that is something that you do one night over dinner, but this is a conversation that you can continue to have throughout the course of um, your life. One thing that I talk about a lot um, professionally is human sexuality, and I believe that those conversations need to be constant over the life of your family, and I believe this conversation is equally important. So, Jenny, will you introduce yourself? Yes. Um, My name is Jenny Gomez. I am a licensed professional counselor supervisor and a registered play therapist supervisor. Um, I have been seeing clients here at St. Andrew for almost 13 years. Um, And I also uh, work as a litigation consultant in a family law firm. So I'm excited to be here. Glad you're back. Yes, thank you. My name is Kari Brown. And I am an assistant principal at a large high school in Collin County. Um, my family and I have lived in this area for, uh, quite some time. Um, I am African-American. My, um, kids are also, um, I am widowed for about five and a half years. And I think, um, again, I think all of that is relevant because it kind of plays into just the intersectionality of just who I am and when, why I'm here. Um, Jenny and I know each other because our kids, um, uh, participate in a, um, dance activity together. And, um, my area of research, I, uh, I finished my dissertation a year ago and my area of research is, uh, focused on boys and adolescent boys in particular in, um, and literacy. What, what, what can we do as, as educators to kind of bring them, um, back into the fold and just see literacy as, uh, necessary and, and pleasurable. And I, I think also that that probably has some, um, some tie-ins to what we're talking about today. Yeah. So you don't know this about me, but I was a teacher before I was a preacher. So oh, great. I'm one of the people that would probably love reading your dissertation. Oh, great. So. Well, there aren't that yeah. many. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, I have come up with some questions. We've talked about some stuff, but I want to name right now that I am a white female who has lived primarily in her life in white culture. My high school was semi-diverse. Um, but I was, I was, I was talking to a friend today or this week, it was segregated without being segregated, right? Um, the majority of churches I've worshiped at have been mainly white communities, the communities I live in mainly white communities. So I've find myself stumbling over words recent, and that is never an issue for me, <laughs> but I don't want to say something wrong. I don't want to offend. Um, and I want to support And so I hope that this podcast, I have a feeling there's a lot of white people in the world feeling like I'm feeling that you want to do something, but you don't know what to do or, or 
how to do it. So I thought we'd just start by some questions that I've had in my mind, some questions that people have sent me. Um, And we'll start with how do we talk to our kids about rallies versus riots and what they're seeing on the news, right? Who wants to dive in? I'm going to let you start. Okay. I think, um, well, first I want to say that I don't pretend to speak on behalf of the entire black community. Um, but it is a perspective from someone who happens to be black. And I think, um, you know, as, as parents, um, particularly as parents of faith, I think we teach our kids, like it is not okay to take something that doesn't belong to you. It's not okay to, um, to destroy something that's not yours. Um, so I think we still keep teaching our kids that. But I think, you know, it's a bigger question in terms of rallies versus riots is I think we have to really dive into the complicated and painful past of race in our country, in our country in particular. Um, and we have to talk about the origins of systemic oppression and systemic racism here Um And then when we do that with our families and we talk about how, you know, most black people who are in this country did not come on of of our own free will. So then we talk about, okay, well, then how did we get here? And then what happened while we in in the very beginning when when the transatlantic slave trade first happened and then what happened after Reconstruction and and all of those things that 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 we as black people kind of um, and white people, too. But as black people feel on the um, oppressive end of that, I think we have to talk about that. And, I, and while I think, and I think we tell our kids, it's possible to hold space for the fact that it's not okay to destroy something that's not yours. But it's also at the same time, you can also hold space for the fact that, you know, if you've get, gotten pushed to the limit and you feel the weight of just history on, on top of you, you can understand how someone would react in violence. And so I think um, not that you support it, not that you say, hey, go do that. But I do think it's important for our kids to understand how did we get here? How, and, and particularly um, between black people and white people. Yes, there are lots of um, there are there is there is racism. There is there is prejudice. There are a lot of unfair things that happen in this country to people based on who you how you look, who you love, all of those things. But there is a particular and unique struggle because of um how the races started to interact in this country that I think we need to talk about. And I think when we, de- when we delve into it that way, it um, sheds the light on um, our responsibility, um, not just as people, but as, as people of faith, like, what does that mean for us? Mm-hmm. I think, um, and then Jenny, I'll let you dive in, but especially as people of faith, when I have begun to talk about race, and this isn't something that I've just talked about this week, but I don't think I've put as much focus and intent. But if we can um, repent and um, admit to our own faults and our own prejudices and not point the finger at other people and how they're doing, I think, again, that's a great conversation starter, too, of, you know, um, I one of our pastors here, she led chapel this past week, and she's ma- she's a white woman who married an African-American man. And she said, I've had to deal with the fact that I am racist and I have a black man that I love and lives in my own house. And like hearing her say those words, because I know how much she loves and adores her husband. But just knowing that she has tendencies in her heart because of how she was brought up 
and how she was raised by culture, not by her parents or her, but society. So. Well, I think we need a working definition of racism too, right? Like, so I, you know, and as I started looking into that, um, one that seems to work is racism is prejudice plus power. And if you think about, um, well, who has power systemically in this country, it's not black people. Um, it's, it's, it's white people, particularly white men. And so, um, we have to, we have to be willing to admit that. Mm -hmm. And, um, like Jenny and I were talking in the parking lot, um, and like you and I were talking earlier, it's it's okay to say, hey, I'm going to mess this up. I am going to say it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to to just name those feelings and then kind of turn towards them rather than um, running away from them. And I think that opens up the conversation. Yeah. I think there's two things I want to piggyback on. Um, one is saying um, <clears throat> that it's okay to mess up. It's okay to it's okay to talk about your own struggles and it's okay to not know, like it's okay to, I loved, I loved, loved how you said it to hold space for those two concepts. Like that really touched me. Like, I really appreciate that. I really like that. And I think it's important to have dialogue with our kids and not expect to like know the answer and that this is how it is. And this is the, like to be able to hold space. I like that. And to have discussion and to have talk, like open communication. That's how you learn. I mean, both as a parent and as a child. And if you can learn together, Mm -hmm. I mean, I talk about all that with faith, Mm -hmm. right? Families are so hesitant to answer like the big questions about God because Mm -hmm. they may not know the right answer. And I always say, great, don't say you don't know the answer and talk about it and think about it. Because um, I think with any situation, um, race, sexuality, faith, there's never one answer. Mm-hmm. There's like you started the podcast. You are one perspective mm-hmm. that we have brought in, mm-hmm. right? And um, I think it's important to note that and be able to work through it. But I think, and this tag into what I w- to say is, I think there are a lot of people who think there is one answer. Period. End of discussion. It is this way, and and I think it's really healthy as a in a parent child and a family relationship. I think it's healthy even systemically, but to be able to say, I don't know, like can work through those opinions and discussion points to come to some conclus some some conclusions that are workable and movable um, dialogue. And I think that um, <clears throat> we've had conversations before on this podcast when bad things have happened. Yes. And you said something at the beginning of that question about the things our kids are seeing on the news. And I have a personal opinion on that, that kids need to be sheltered from the news. Um, that is not, that does not mean to be where your child learns about racism. That is not where your child needs to learn about what's happening right now, because that is a very you know, sound bites and very specific chosen video bits that are going to get the attention and, and be the most exciting and graphic and and all of that. And that is not where your kid needs to learn about this at all. So uh, just like we talk about when there's shootings and bad things are happening in violence and other kinds of situations we've talked about before, I really feel strongly that we need to be careful with that and how much our kids are digesting and taking in. And if your kid is doing that, say you have a teenager who's on social media, like I do, I see she'll like reshare something or post something. And I'm like, do you even understand? Like, let's talk about that. We need to talk about that um, so that they really understand and that they're not just taking some meme that somebody put out there or a video that was 30 seconds 
posted and they make their decisions about that. A hundred percent. I think you have to be full. I mean, for me as an adult, when I see something on the news, I like to go to another news source and another and make sure that it's the full story. Um, and kids don't always have that fullness of media yet. Right. You know, they have the, so I'm going to piggyback on that. Um, there are a lot of videos right now on Twitter and Snapchat, especially on um, videos of police brutality and um, black men dying at the hands of officers. Um, what do we do when our kids see that? I mean, any any horrific death, right? I mean, what do we do? How do we talk through that with our kids? Because I believe the core of police are good and have good intentions. But when our children see somebody who's acting in a way that is poor, with poor intentions, and they're supposed to be somebody of authority, how do we balance that? I think, do you want to go first, Jenny? I think, um, well, first, I think we, we, I agree with you. I don't think that the news needs to be where kids get the, um, the, the totality of their information or even necessarily the initial exposure, but I have two teenagers also. And so I know that, um, while I would like to, well, not anymore, but while previously (laughs) I, um, before my oldest got into sixth grade and he's about to go into high school. So it's been some years, but I, I would have liked to have thought that he would have never heard any swear words, um, ever. Right. Um, that was false. Like I, I work in secondary education. I absolutely know that he heard those, that he heard all of it. Um, so, and now, I mean, with him going into ninth grade, yes. So I think, um, while I don't think that they need to have their initial exposure or the totality of their information needs to come from the news, we, we do know as parents that they are going to get the information, whether it's, whether they're talking about sex, whether they're talking about, um, any anything that has to do with race, anything that has to do with just controversial things. And so, like Jenny said, I think it's important that we have those conversations and circle back around to them and and we we are honest with them. And so I will um I will conjure Brene Brown because she is one of my favorite people. Um yes, she is. She is fantastic. I'm currently reading The Gifts of Imperfection. Um and she says that clear is kind. And so, and I believe that, and I, I lead that way with the departments that I lead at, at work. And I, I, I operate that way with my children, um, really intentionally. And so I think, um, in terms of how do we have that conversation with our kids about what's on the news? I mean, we, we say this is what happened. And, um, but I think we have to also, like we've talked about before, it, it's not a bi- it doesn't exist in a binary. Like you're not for black people or for police. Like you there it's there, there's, there's a spectrum. Um, my late husband's best friend, one of his best friends is a police officer and he's white. Um, my cousin who is black is a female police officer, both in Dallas. And so whenever anything happens, um, we, we, we text them, how are you guys? What can we do to support you? Um, I know they're good people. But I also know that um, I told my son, you will not, we live in a, an, I mean, it's a nice neighborhood. It's, you know, in Collin County, great schools. But I told him, you will not be running by yourself. Like, that's not happening. He's um, almost six feet tall, um, very smart. Um, 
uh, strong but slight looking. Doesn't matter. He's a black kid running in a predominantly white neighborhood. Not happening. Um, so, um, and another example that I mean that I live with is that uh, finally after COVID, it was time for him to get a haircut. Thank God. And he's looking real scruffy. And I told him um, he had his mask because um, the barber had a mask and he had a mask. And I said, okay, um, don't put that on till you get inside. And he said, why? And I said, because. Um, child and I said his name it's uh it's not a good time for black men in America to be masked so just wait till you get inside and he said oh okay and I, now had we not had conversations before about um you can't now your friends may be able to act a certain way when y'all go hang out at main event but you can't do that because or if you're seen running down the hall even though I'm pretty well known in our district um, if they don't know who that kid is, that's running down the hall, but they, you know, there's like five up their boys, they run. So like, if you say stop and walk and they don't do it, what I know, because I've lived it is that, um, his punishment is going to be harder, um, and more severe than his white friends. And so if, if we hadn't had these conversations before, then I think it would be harder for me to say to him and my daughter, Hey, this is what's happening in the news. Um, and so if you don't come from that perspective, if you're not black, um, I think it's really important to perspective take and to make sure that um, we understand, like for me, I am a guest in LGBT spaces. I don't understand that world. It is not, I mean, not that I don't understand that world. I grew up as a classically trained dancer. So, I mean, <laughs> kind of understand it, but it's not my, it's not my life. It's not my lived experience. And so when I am talking to someone who is from that world, I ask them um, for, for their guidance in how do you want me to refer to you? And I recognize that if I'm talking to somebody else, they may want me to refer to them differently. Right. Um, but I take my cues from that person that's in front of me and recognize that I am not the expert there. And I don't pretend to be. And I think it's the same thing when we're talking about race. Well, and that's, so one of the gifts when I went to seminary is a dear friend who, um, is now one of my soul sisters, we call each other. And she, um, African-American woman, like brilliant. Um, and she's three boys. And at that time, my boys were real young and her boys were teenage and college or maybe all in college. And we were studying in the library one night and she got a phone call from one of her boys that got pulled over. And it was very interesting to me as a mom of boys, especially now teenage boys, one's driving, um, to be retrospective of this conversation, but she was angry at them for being in the car together because she had taught them that you do not, a group of black men is not okay in a car. And so instead of, it was this, you know better, like you know better, but they also were in a Ivy League school that was probably white and they had to drive to another town to get their hair cut. So they all went together. It makes sense. But her reaction as a mom was, you know better than that. And it was so interesting. It was that point. I kind of get, I kind of, I get chills thinking about it, that I recognize that we raise our boys totally different. And we have very different conversations. Um, when my son started to drive, I had conversations with him about how to be respectful when police pull over. It wasn't until he started playing football in high school and his friend group grew, which included African-American males um, that we had different conversations about when you get pulled over with your friends in the car, here's what you need to do. 
Um, and it was a really hard conversation because it was the beginning of a conversation that we had never had, right? Like, again, recognizing how I raise my kids differently. Um, but it's a conversation that we have now begun to continue. So, Well, and I think it's an on, like, like we've said, it's an ongoing discussion that prompts discussions in everybody's household and it sh- as it should and everybody has their own take on it their own experiences of how they grew up the communities they grew up in the friends they mm-hmm. have um and the and how that all relates and i think it's that ongoing dialogue and you you asked about you know the police and and that dynamic and that's a real hard one for me too i can i've worked at children's advocacy centers. Mm-hmm. I've worked on task forces about helping kids in drug homes. And so guess what? I've worked a lot with law enforcement, um, with really, really good people who go in and rescue kids from mm-hmm. horrible situations and and um, do all kinds of really good things, right? Mm-hmm. And so this has been a hard, I, I, I'm in a weird, like it's that holding space thing, right? Mm-hmm. That I can mm-hmm. hold space for all these different feelings that sometimes don't add up and don't mm-hmm. fit well together. But it's the conversations with our kids that I come back to of when bad things happen, that there are bad people in the world. There are bad things that happen. We live from a very, we live in a very imperfect world. And how do we communicate with our kids about how to talk about their feelings about that and how mm-hmm. to share about that? And, um, you know, my last name is Gomez and my husband is Hispanic. And, you know, my kids have learned when we, when they travel with him alone, um, they, like if they are at the airport or his family lives in South Texas and they're driving back up, he'll get stopped Mm -hmm. and they will ask, they will, the officers or the TSA agents or the border patrol has all that has occurred. And they will go to my kids, my girls, and they will ask them, what's your name? Where's your mom? Mm -hmm. Who is this? Where do you live? Like they go, they interview my children and they've done that since my kids were talking when mm-hmm. Rubens traveled with them alone. Um, and so it's like, they kind of, we've had to have those conversations of when an officer speaks to you and a TSA agent speaks to you, you answer them clearly. You answer mm-hmm. like it's something I never even thought of. Like I never mm-hmm. thought of. Um, and we have to have empathy and understanding that we all have to raise our kids where we're coming from and right. the communities we live in and the challenges we face, but to help them understand like, there's a lot of good in this world, mm-hmm. but there's always been bad and evil too. And we have to teach our kids how to talk about that. And we don't live in rainbows and ponies all the time. Like it's yeah. not real life. Yeah. And so when, you know, my daughter sent me the video, there was a particular video about with p- police brutality recently that's been on the news a lot in the last few days um, that happened to be a Caucasian man, right? In the midst of, of the riots and elderly. And, um, my daughter sent that to me in typical teenage form over a DM and Instagram. (laughs) And her question simply was that just kind of shook me was, aren't the police supposed to keep us safe? Hmm. And that was, you know, that I've seen that video way too many times. It is upsetting. It is disturbing. It is hard to see. All these videos are hard to see, which again is why I'm like, we have to be careful about how much we take in. It builds our anxiety. It builds our stress, but I really struggled right? With how to answer that question and how to, we teach our kids from a very little age, you're at the mall and you get lost. What do you do? You find a police officer. You see, like we teach our kids that all the time. And then now we have these situations that are hard to navigate. And I find myself again saying, I I don't have all the answers, Mm -hmm. right? I know I I don't. And And I think that that's helpful for our children. And I think helps them connect to us and know that we are safe and that we are talk, we can talk. And, um, but then in general, I believe in general, not just police officers or whomever, but in general, people are good. Right. I believe that. I believe that in general, people are I good. 
Yeah. I think most of us do. Otherwise we get to a very dark place. Kind of yeah. like what, what you said about the news. Um, I, I, there's a, a podcast that I like to listen to you to kind of catch up on whatever story is happening in politics or whatever. I just have not been able to do that for the past two weeks. And so, um, and so I turned on the my usual rhythm in, in the evening is after my kids have done their thing and what they may be coming in and flopping on my bed or not. But I turn on the news and it's kind of just to kind of catch up. And I just it's not something that I've been able to do because of what you said. It does elevate my anxiety. I live in a very anxious space. It's part of the reason I'm so productive, but it also <laughs> it also um, has its downfalls. And so like I, I, I can't do that. And it just puts me in a very dark place. I also think um, that you know, you were saying it's, you know, when, what do you do when your kids are saying, but I thought this person was supposed to do like be supportive. I think you can say the same thing. And you having been in education can say this too. We can say that about educators also, but we all know plenty of teachers and assistant principals and principals who, who should have been good, who should have protected and didn't. And, um, but that doesn't, that doesn't negate or nullify the, vast majority of other teachers and educators well, who and, are good. I mean, as a pastor, oh, like same. the second that somebody's on the news, it negates my credibility. Yes. And, you know, or my I go straight to the male counterparts that I work with. It, it really negates a lot of times their credibility of, of being trusted, especially around children. Yes. And so if we go back to the core of we believe humanity in the core is good. And every profession, every has bad seeds, you know, and I personally, and this is Kim's idea, I believe it usually revolves around power when people get in a place of authority where they don't feel like they have to answer no matter what profession you're in. Um, it's, it's easy to get to a place where you feel like you're above the law or above, um, the commandments and rules. Um, well, I think too, what, what kind of jumps out at me is when we talk about like teachers or we talk about Boy Scout leaders, or we talk about, you know, other professions that have definitely had some really bad things happen, not, and it's not the majority, but the bad things have happened and continue to happen and, and always unfortunately will like, but what jumps out to me is to bring, you know, on the racism, bring it back to that is to look at the history Right. And that this is to me, when I'm working with clients, I oftentimes talk about like we have a 5,000 foot viewpoint of an issue and we have a 30,000 foot. Right. So the 5,000 foot is what's happening right now in the moment today, what you saw in the news, how to process that today and your feelings. But the 30,000 foot is this idea of the systemic racism and the history of how African Americans came into our country and everything since and the oppression that has happened. And that is different. And then other issues we deal right. with, right? Like, like that, that is where it jumps out to me is this is, this is the difference and, and our children and our families, we need to be okay to talk about that. And in order to understand the 5,000, you have to talk about the 30. Yeah. And yeah. I was going to say, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say that like, um, I graduated from Ursuline Academy, which is, I loved my experience there. It was fantastic. Uh, it's also predominantly white. Um, and I think there were uh, seven um, black girls in my class of 120 oh, something. Oh yeah. It was a great school. Yeah. Go Bears. It was a great school. Still is. Um, and one of the things um, that I remember is, and I wasn't sure this opportunity would come up to talk about this, but my sister, I have a twin and we were, um, 
we had some time to kill between school and whatever activity we had after. And so we decided to go to North Park and I had never, I was 16. I had never been in a Tiffany before. So I'm like, let's go in there and just walk around. And so, uh, and so we did. And, you know, those who are listening and anyone who's from the Dallas area knows that Ursuline has a very iconic skirt. Like it's red, white, and blue. I don't think any other school has that. It's like, you know, that skirt, um, cause it's been around for forever, um, for, for at least a hundred years. And so, um, I remember walking into the store and, you know, there's two black girls walking in. This is 20 years ago. And um, all you can see is just like this white shirt. And the sales associate came over, rushed over and was like, what, what do you need? Can I help you? And then she comes around the corner and sees the skirt and says, oh, you're Ursuline girls. OK, well, just let me know if you need anything. And then walks away. And so one of the things. So. So, yeah, we can talk about like this right. 5000 foot view right now. But. What I know is that, um, and my research um, talks about this too, is that um, African-American boys and all boys of color are overrepresented in um, behavior mediation programs, in special education, um, and they're not, in quotation marks, dumber or that much um they're that much more ill-behaved. I'm not sure if that's the way to say that. That syntax is awkward, but um, then girls are or than their um, white counterparts. But why is it that, um, you know, that instance that I talked about before and then this 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 history that we see when we look at, at who's who's in what programs and in what um, situations in school, if we're going to talk about those things, then we're going to have to be OK talking about like Jenny said, about systemic racism and its effects in this country and and how do we contribute to it? And I will also say in the same breath, yes, I have a, a measure of privilege having gone to Ursuline. Like everyone doesn't get that. Even if you have the money, you don't get in. Like it's not, it is a, it is a kind of privilege. And I, and I, I bear witness to that and I am immensely grateful for that. And then for going to SMU after, which is another type of privilege. And then for being able to get my master's and get my doctorate. Those are, those are all kinds of privilege. But because I have experienced that privilege, I also have to turn around and look behind me and say, OK, now now what? What is my responsibility now that I have that privilege um, that I've experienced that? And I think it's the same thing with white people. You talked about power. Um, there is a measure of power that comes when people say, oh, it's doctor. Oh, OK. Like, yes, it opens some doors for me. But there's also like when we talk about in this country, there is immense power just by being a white man and just walking into a room. And if you well. If you let so being in this skin and going and talking to someone and then having a white man next to me who also goes and talks to that same person, the kind of deference and the kind of, of power that is instantly given is something that is almost palpable. And it's in, it's just it's it's interesting. And so I, I think the question is, how do you how do you we can't be afraid to name that to our kids and we can't be afraid to talk about it. It doesn't, but it does make people uncomfortable because then we feel somehow, um, complicit in somehow. Um, and I, and we probably are, if we're not doing anything to, mm -hmm. to capitalize on our privilege. Right. So, right. So let's, we've talked a lot about how we believe humanity as a mm -hmm. whole is good and there is goodness in the world. There's two hashtags going around right now. A lot. One is black lives matter. And then there's, I believe its counterpart, and y'all can correct me if you feel different, is all lives matter. Can we talk about the difference in those hashtags, and especially from your point of view? Sure. I think that um, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like saying when someone says, oh, I don't see color, um, saying saying all lives matter and saying I don't see, see color, um, hold hands. 
And I, I don't think that um, when I when someone sees me, it's false for them to say they don't see color. You see that I have brown skin. You know that. You see my children have brown skin. What I think people mean is you're, I'm not going, I am, I am working really hard not to let your skin define what I think about you. Well, then say that. Right. Um, but to say that you don't see color, I think, um, minimizes and uh, uh, trivializes an issue that is way bigger than probably any of us really are ready to admit, but we have to be. Um, well, my friend, I had lunch with my friend uh -huh. who happens to be African-American this past week, and I uh -huh. purposely called her and said, Let's, I just need to listen. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, I know that you see color mm -hmm. because I've seen the different colors of your hair since we've been friends. <laughs> That's great. Right. But she was like, if you just put it in that context of, I know color is important to you mm -hmm. because in the summer you go blonder right. and in the fall <laughs> you have red highlights and in the, right. But she was like, I just need to put it in a different context. And she was like, so seeing you not seeing mm -hmm. color is you not seeing me fully exactly exactly and it was just this hmm mm -hmm. you know that well you lose out on mm -hmm. so much mm -hmm. like diversity is beautiful it yeah is. and so to say we don't see color minimizes the positive impact on diversity mm -hmm. and appreciating that we are different and that we have all have amazing things to contribute because yeah. of that mm -hmm. and so to not to say i don't see color i really think is sad in a that way too, that yeah. we're, we're losing out on mm -hmm. an opportunity to grow and to understand and to, to, to grow more fully. Um, but I do think that, um, I mean, the all lives, the all lives and black lives matter. I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, I, it's not, I think it's a tough one just in terms of until you talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, biblically, one of the things that has jumped out the most to me is, um, and talking to kids, like the mo the easiest way to help kids understand, because kids will go, well, my life matters too, mm -hmm. right? And then that's when we go back to the systemic and, mm -hmm. but we're not worried about you right now, mm -hmm. right? It's not our house that's on fire. It's, mm -hmm. you know, like that whole thing, but it's that, you know, the one, the one sheep, right? We're going to mm -hmm. go after the one sheep, the other ones are safe and this one's not okay. We're going to go get it. Mm -hmm. And, and we have to help our kids understand that. Like, of course your life matters, yeah. of course, but we're not, and maybe it's the the, the, the semantics of how that, those hashtags and that movement, you know, like maybe it's, maybe there could have been a different way to say it, you mm -hmm. know, because it, I think it's hard. Kids are so concrete, yeah you know, right. they are just developmentally. And so, but I think to explain it on that 30,000 foot, the mm -hmm. systemic history and, and why that's significant right now is the important delineation. Well, and I think too, in my dissertation, that was one thing that, um, one of my committee members asked is why boys, why, why are you talking about boys as a woman who went to an all girls school? Why would you do that? And, um, my answer is as an educator, our job is to look at who's in, who's in front of us and educate those people that are in front of us. And right now the people who are suffering are boys, that's who's suffering. And so, especially in terms of literacy. So, um, and there's a whole section where I talk about to acknowledge what is what is wrong with boys um, because of stuff that I believe we've done as a, as a society in education is is not to say that women have um, have broken the glass ceiling, which we all know is crap. That's not true. Um, it's not to say that our issues don't matter. It's not to say that there's fair representation of women in uh, traditionally male fields. None of that stuff is true. 
but it doesn't obfuscate the the fact that I am looking at the fact that why are there 80% of, of these people that are sitting in special education, why are they boys? And why are 100% of them people of color? That's not okay. And so um, I think it, the same thing is true when when we're talking about Black Lives Matter and and All Lives Matter. Yes, all lives matter. We 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 start from that that perspective, but then, like Jenny said, we have to also recognize, and it, it it's hard, but it opens the door to say, okay, um, child of mine, I'm I. This is why we need to say Black Lives Matter, because let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about how your black friends got here. Do you not have black friends? Maybe we should work on that. Like those, you know, those, those are the conversations that it opens up. And so, um, I also am, am not a huge label person. I'm also not a huge social media person because I think what that does is if I say something is red, you may think maroon, but I may be thinking like bright apple red. And so I think descriptions are a whole lot more helpful than, than labels. So, um, and in some ways, uh, hashtags are kinds of kind, they're a kind of label, and you don't really know what I mean when I what I ascribe to that, and I don't really know what you mean when you ascribe to that, and that's part of the reason that I I kind of prefer to have conversations with people about what's actually behind something rather than just saying oh this is who I am and and just throwing out a bunch of um, pop culture right. whatever right, right. you know. Right. There's so much room for misinterpretation. Yes. And that's where, again, I go back. I, as an adult, struggle with what's okay to say because I feel like there's so much room for misinterpretation. Mm-hmm. And I sit back and watch social media the last couple of weeks and see people just get dreamed. Uh-huh. And I know these people and I know what they meant to say, but it kind of came out a little But yeah. Or maybe it didn't even come out necessarily wrong, but somebody misinterpreted it because feelings are so escalated right now. And so I sit back and watch that and I'm like, I don't want to touch this with, uh, on social media. Mm-hmm. I will have conversations with people that I trust and care about. Um, but to be on social media scares me a little bit, but again, I go back to with our kids, those kids who are on social media, they are seeing that in those little snippets and how are they? So as a parent to have those conversations of how are they perceiving it? And with your kids, I'm a big believer in the open ended questions Mm -hmm. and just listening to them to really fully understand where their heart is before you respond. Don't just lecture and be Charlie Brown's teacher you they know, they're listen. not going to hear you. Hear so that. let them talk and ask them like, what are your, what are your thoughts and what are your feelings about this? And what do you think? Well, and I think going back to what you said earlier, like it's okay. Like, and this is the educator in me coming out. It's okay for there not to be a period at the end of that. When you ask the open-ended mm-hmm. question and it kind of just like simmers out in the, in the, in the, wherever mm-hmm. you're talking in the mm-hmm. living room or the dining room table or wherever, or the car, cause they're great conversations that happen in the car. Then, the best. The um, best. Cause they're captive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no eye contact. Exactly. There, there isn't. And so they're a little bit more open. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think, I think it's okay to just kind of let it sit there and be like, hmm. Well, and I think it's also important to to name that your family doesn't all have to think the same way. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You're all coming from different experiences and um a healthy conversation about different viewpoints and different opinions and what you might think about those hashtags is great to have to see that you can you can agree to disagree or you can um, have different opinions and still love one another mm-hmm. and still be in community and mm-hmm. family and how to um, have that discord in a healthy way um, to model that in your homes because they are going to interact with 
teachers they don't like mm-hmm. and have personality conflicts with and coworkers and friends and blah, 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 to begin those conversations to have. I just think that's a healthy place to start. I think it's so important. And I, I think it's so important to teach them how to have a difference of opinion on mm-hmm. something that you feel so passionately about, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I can disagree with you about the weather and I can disagree with you about certain even ways we interpret the Bible, or I can Mm -hmm. disagree with you about, there can be things that are really important that we have disagreements about, but there are fundamental disagreements that are hard for me to stomach. Mm -hmm. If I like, it's more than a disagreement. Like if Mm -hmm. you really believe that, I don't know how to connect. Right. I don't know. And so, I mean, I have people in my extended family. We had, I had a conversation with my daughter when all this was going on and when it first started and really a very open conversation about my experience mm-hmm. growing up and what I believed and, and people in my family and how I chose, learned, you know, as a teenager, when you're just like vigilante about social right. justice, you know, I would get into arguments with certain people in my extended family that I learned was not productive. Right. And I learned was just at a certain point after being burned in those yeah. conversations, many, 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 many times I finally decided I'm going to avoid those conversations with them because they're not, I'm not going to change their mind and, you know, to learn how to deal with that. But again, without having a period, like how do I have somebody in my family that I love and we have a relationship, but yet on this fundamental issue that I think is a Mm -hmm. huge character, good or bad thing, how do I, how am I in relationship with them and how do I do that? And that was something that again, with kids being so black and white mm-hmm. and concrete minded, um, binary is the best word that you said. Um, how do we teach them how to do that? Right. Right. Gracefully. And with grace, like, mm-hmm. I think part of it, and I don't pretend to have all the answers, but, um, you know, I think one of the things that I'm learning is, um, I like for my kids to be able to, um, I like to just kind of like blow up the like just blow things up and then just let them sit there and then um see what they come up with and um i i don't they may come to the realization that huh that's interesting i mean, I think we have to trust our kids too sometimes they're a lot more resilient and have a lot more um as they get older obviously they um but older could mean like 10 11 12 depends on right. your kid and and just their my children are very old souls so they've been they've been 40 since they were here and they got here same so, I, yeah. I say i say our oldest came out like 80 yes like they always yes. has been yeah that's how my kids are so i think that they wrestle with issues and kind of land on on things um without without me and i don't want them to adopt my perspective i want i want to have a conversation with them and then if they say well this is what i believe um when it was especially true, you know, when I think we're coming into it again with being an electioneer and all of that. But I, when my kids would come and parrot something that I had heard them, that I know they'd heard somewhere. Right. I would say, okay, well, what are you using? It's fine if you say that, but how are you backing that up? Like what sources are you using to back that up? Are you sure that's the only source you need to back that up? And then I think bringing that back to, um, you know, how do we help talk to our kids about racism? I think, I think we have to be bold enough to name it and then just it like, and just, trust that the more we have open conversations with them, that they are going to land on something that's going to help them be, um, a, a contributing useful, uh, member of society who purposefully uses their power to do something. So, and that's the other thing that we're trying to do as a family mm-hmm. to name that when we like, 
we've always named that if you see somebody hurt or you see somebody being picked on, you're the person to stand up for that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever named to my kids that if you see somebody being picked on because of the color of their skin or being treated differently because of the color of your skin, you need to stand up for that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever said that out mm-hmm. loud. Mm-hmm. And so personally, myself, um, I've been convicted of that. Um, I've become a football mom, which is God's joke on <laughs> just me. Um, That's great. In fact, I'm the varsity um, mom this awesome. year. Awesome. Oh, I'm wow. Crazy. That's a um, big yeah, thing. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see how that works out. My husband's listening. He's rolling his eyes and glaring at me through <laughs> whatever device. Just say no. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but what I have said to myself in the stands, sometimes things are said that I know are wrong and inappropriate and I just let them roll off my back because it really doesn't affect me and I don't want to have an awkward conversation. I've stopped that. But instead of pointing a finger, I'd say, wait, what, what do you mean by that? And so then they have to continue the conversation and I'd be like, what? And it's been, it's been kind of great Um, I no longer feel guilty when I go home for not standing up for somebody that I know needed my voice. And I'm not this, you know, it's, it's more of a conversation, but in the midst of the conversation, um, it can be, um, healing, I think. I don't know. Well, I've got to wrap this one up. This is the hardest question. What is one thing you would tell a child, a student or a parent? So you have to pick. Jenny never follows the rules in this question, by the way. <laughs> so if you pick an age group, okay, um, parent, child, or student, what's one thing you want to tell that particular unit? I'm going to take Jenny's lead uh-huh, and uh-huh. Um, Nobody make ever my own rules. this. <laughs> um, I think as a family unit, what's really important is to, um, if you're on social media, then be on social media together following anti-racist voices. Um, if you're, um, find a book, uh, Jason Reynolds and uh, Dr. Ibram, I always say his name la- uh, wrong, but um, they wrote a book together called, uh, he wrote a book called Stamped from the Beginning. Uh, So there's a young adult version. That's the one I'm talking about with Jason Reynolds and Dr. Um, Kendi. I think that's how you say his last name. Yes. Luckily, right now, it's sold out. Yeah. Yes, it is. So, Um, yes. But but I'm on a wait list. So I would say find books um, that you can read about and just let them simmer and then have discussions about them together that not just books about racism, books about being anti-racist and the history of of, um, oppression and systemic racism in our country. That's wonderful. All right, Jenny, are you going to follow the rules? I might, <laughs> actually. Really? I, well, you know what? Because we have two people here today, it gave me time to think. <laughs> like, it gave me time to like think through what I wanted to say. Um, I think I would talk to. I really, really adore teenagers right now. Like in my practice, <laughs> like I, my they're like my favorite population to work with, because I feel like teenagers have such a capacity to absorb and be open and learn and and there is such a really cool part of their life developmentally where they're about to launch mm-hmm. and they just, they, they just absorb. It's yeah. really amazing. And their energy, they're not set in their ways yet. They're, they're excited and they're passionate. And, um, 
you just reframed like how I feel about my kids. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I just, I, Yesterday I, I, was not a good day yeah. to get my house. <laughs> That's great. I really, really love teenagers and, um, and, and older teenagers are even at that place too. And, and it's really a really cool time developmentally. So I guess I would just encourage them, um, to make sure like they, that they truly are doing that their, their part. I mean, I feel like that, that age demographic has the capacity to do so much and that older teenagers into young adults particularly have such an opportunity to make change happen and people listen and they band together so well and they have that age bracket has such passion when they feel something strongly they have such passion and they are I feel like our kids right now are they're so educated whether it's school or opportunities in media like they have so much input and, and, um, things coming to them that they can then reframe and make move, make change happen. And, um, and to, to listen to your parents when it comes to how to do that well, because parents have learned the do's and don'ts of how to, how to make change happen or how to make a statement that's controversial and how to do it well. And so to listen to your parents on kind of how to navigate those, but, but, don't be like harnessed, like speak up, do something, jump in, take care of your friends. Don't stand up. Don't, don't allow something bad to happen. Don't allow a racist statement to just sit out there, like correct it. Um, but do it in a way that is going to be heard and, and received effectively. Because if you say it in a way that is not received effectively, you've lost your opportunity. And so to take that passion and learn from history because teenagers don't always do that part. They think they know best. Um, so learn from history of like what works and what doesn't work in terms of being heard, but do something, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely well, do something. I'm just going to, I don't usually answer this question, but I've like started thinking about books. When I was in grad school, my boys and I would read books together mm -hmm. so we could talk about things. And we, um, like sometimes on my drive, I went to SMU. Oh, did and, you? Yeah. I went to Perkins. Oh, and up. so, um, <laughs> awesome. I mean, I literally parked in the parking garage and went to the school of theology and went <laughs> back to the parking garage. So that's kind of my, um, uh, SMU. I know like three square feet okay. of the campus. She didn't do sorority parties. So. No, no, <laughs> it wasn't. Fair. Yeah, fair. no, actually we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> Not in seminary. Anyway, you, you can cut that out, Christian. Yeah. Um, but there's so many great fiction books mm -hmm. written um, that my boys and I used to read. And like it's um, like the Lions of Little Rock is about um, the, the group of kids who went to the first integrated school. Oh, cool. um, there was another book. that. So there's other books mm -hmm. that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll try to link them on our Facebook page, a couple yeah. of like good reads. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I also think it's going to be important for parents of toddlers and to look at the books that are in your house and see if yeah. there is a person of color in any book that or, you have. You know, do you have any black dolls? Do you have right. any dolls that are that are not white, that are maybe like olive skinned? Right. Like, whole range. Right. Well, and the research shows that children can start delineating and start mm -hmm. to recognize skin differences around the age of two. Yes. So if we aren't talking about it, mm -hmm. we are doing them a disservice. Right. And, and I think sometimes people are afraid to talk about it because yeah. they're not sure what to say. A hundred percent. And by <laughs> having a book and well, not a book, lots of books and mm -hmm. dolls and different things mm -hmm. in your child's life, it's just a much easier vehicle to get there mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and to normalize. Like we just, yeah. it's just part of our world, right? Yeah, like, yeah. but instead of just coexisting 
that's kind of that not seeing color, like mm-hmm. recognize it, celebrate it. Like right. let's acknowledge those differences in a positive way from the time you have littles mm-hmm. because we know they recognize it. So let's capitalize on that from the very beginning. Yeah. I know you said this is over, but there's one other thing that I yeah, have found go. to be really, really helpful. Um, I um, have seen, like, when I work with students, one of the things that we do, even with adults, is we do a lot of self-work. So whether it's, like, looking at the Enneagram or looking at Myers-Briggs, those things are super helpful in figuring out um, how I process information. Yeah. And te- teenagers in particular are really at a great place to figure, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the help of parents, kind of figuring out, okay, so let's let's do this um, sixteen personalities test, and let's right. kind of see where you fall, because then it helps you learn how to argue well. Because I know then I get triggered when someone when things are not ordered, and so like I know what number are you on the Enneagram? I'm a one. Me too. Are you? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I am a one. You said several things, yes. and I'm like, I get you. Yes, I know. I, and I felt like we were connecting, and mm-hmm. that's probably yes. why. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to the um, hidden SMU underneath there, but yeah, I, sorry I think you know. That. No, yeah. it's fine. I think just piggybacking off of what Jenny said, I think that. Um, kids don't know how to, and a lot of, adult, of adults don't, and if we haven't done the self-work, don't know how to argue well because we haven't done the self-work to figure out what is triggering us and why, and then how do we say, because it's not okay, evolved people should not be able to say, well, that's my personality, that's just how I'm going to do, and that's right. not okay. Like, Mm-mm. You'll okay. get a pass. No, you do not get a pass. Yes. So <laughs> right. how are you going to work on that? So that's right. the only other thing I'd no, say. No, I love, I love that. In fact, my family doesn't know this, but um, we're going to do an Enneagram workshop Yay, in a couple awesome. of days. Well, I'm going to lead it in my living room. <laughs> I love that. Oh, <laughs> everything's boy. gotten canceled. But I think especially as teenagers, it's yeah. just important to yes. be able to see how you process and yes. see how you teenagers, interact with humans. To your point, again, I love teenagers. They love stuff like that. Yes. Do you yes. remember being a kid in like Seventeen Magazine, all the little quizzes yes. and all oh that? Oh my yeah. gosh. Loved it. Like I flipped to find yeah. them because yes. it's so interesting to understand how you, like what makes yes. you tick. And, and you're so, not abnormal. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So we have gotten sorry all over the spectrum of life um, from Seventeen Magazine. Too. <laughs> but um, what I do want to say is um, for those of you who are listening where this might have, um, you might have thought of more questions or you want to continue this conversation, I please, please reach out. Um, I'm available um, online, email. Um, the majority of the church has my cell phone. <laughs> I don't know if that's healthy or not, but, you know, give me a call. So um, we thank you for listening and um, stay safe and wash your hands. Thanks so much for listening today. We really appreciate all that you do to help lift connect with others. Make sure and go like our Facebook page where we give information about our guests, upload our podcast each week. And I just want to say, remember, if you need anything or any of these podcasts bring deeper questions, you can always reach out to me at St. Andrew. Look forward to connecting with you on our next episode.